0: to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives,
1: because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human, and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. In every episode, I'll be asking a
0: new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of
1: their life. Today's conversation is with the British ultramarathon runner, Ali Bailey. Hailed as an inspirational female adventurer by the Guardian newspaper, Ali really does test herself to the absolute limit and has completed some insanely long and difficult challenges. She's run 100 miles across the frozen lake Kofskol in Mongolia, crossed Namibia three times and run from coast to coast in Panama and in Malta. She's always working towards some sort of amazing goal. So when I recently emailed her, she said that she was sorry for not responding, but she'd been busy running 1,000 miles across the entire length of the UK. Yeah, that's the equivalent of 42 marathons. I realised that Ali is not someone who does things by halves. And when you hear her in this interview, you'll know what I mean. She's got an incredible amount of energy. But Ali is also highly relatable as she's extremely open and honest about the personal challenges that she's faced Discussing how she got through a seismic mental breakdown in 2021 and what it was like being an extremely fit ultra runner who was also a functioning alcoholic. I think it's this honesty combined with her fantastic sense of humour that makes her such a good running coach, particularly for women. She really believes that absolutely anyone can run a marathon anyone. And I love the way that she talks about limitations as being all in our head. It's so refreshing. So check her out on Instagram or visit her website where you can sign up for coaching because Ali really is a very inspiring person. And if there's one thing I hope this conversation brings you, it's a sense of being able to feel differently about what you can achieve in your life. If you'd like more information about this episode, including links to Ali's Instagram and website, you can sign up to receive our newsletter that includes some other bits and pieces, such as background info about the guest and our tenderness thought for the week. If you'd like to be added, just sign up via the link in our Instagram bio or go to our website. And if this episode resonates with you, it would really mean so much if you were able to share it with a friend that you think would really benefit from listening too. And if you feel like leaving a little review on Apple Podcasts, that really is the best way to spread this word and grow this idea of tenderness. You can always email us or message us via Instagram or Facebook. We always love hearing from you. Any support that you can give us in this venture would mean so much. So please do listen to this episode. I really hope that you enjoy it. I'm so excited
0: to be talking to the lovely Ali Bailey on the podcast today. Welcome, Ali. Hello. It's lovely to to meet you on the Zooms it is it's lovely to meet you. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about all things running and yeah how how it's possible to sort of do that from a place of tenderness because the things that you do are quite astounding and I'm really fascinated to get an insight into sort of what drives you and where you kind of have your reserves. So I'm really looking forward to that but Before we do our chat, I want to start off by asking you to share your moment of tenderness with us because the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together. And when we shine a light on scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, moments where we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us, it's as though we're awakened to greater meaning and purpose. So Ali, please do share your moment with us. I actually have a couple because I found this really, really hard,
2: mainly because when I thought about them, it made me feel quite upset. So I have a dog and her name is Pickle and she is the love of my life. And she's she's what dog psychologists would call... um, what do they call it? They say that they have uh something other in the home, like advantages in the home or something like that. She does. She sleeps in my bed. And every morning when I wake up, she is there and she crawls up the bed and she looks me directly in the eye. And I am just super happy. Like I just look at her and it's ridiculous and it's weird because I haven't had that happiness I've never really felt it and even now I'm like oh what's that feeling oh my god that's that's a weird feeling um but like that is every day it's just that moment of a little face crawling up the bed being like morning mummy um and that's that's the one I thought of that didn't make me cry but the one that I thought that did make me cry was about 10 months ago I had an extreme mental breakdown. It was awful. And I was taken in a car from Yorkshire to Somerset um, taken home because no one knew what to do with me. And they were going to take me back to my mum's. I'm a 40 year old woman, but I was like, I don't want to go to my mum's. I want to go to my friend, Julius's. Julius is my ex-boyfriend, but he's my best mate. And he, I called him and I said, this is really bad. I need, I need to come to yours. And He dropped everything and he waited at home for me to the day of work. And when he opened the door, he just cuddled me and it was just so lovely. I'm going to cry even talking about it because he didn't have to do that. He could have been like, I'm busy or go to your mum's or whatever. But he like took me back into his house and um, basically just looked after me for like three days. I just slept for three days. He was so kind to me and, and, you know, like I said, he didn't have to do that. And um, that's the one that really stands out to me. Because I think that was one of those moments where I was like, people might, people might actually love you, Ali. Like, people might actually have unconditional love for you. So I have Pickle, Pickle's little face every morning, being super cute. And, like, the connection I have with that dog is ridiculous. Um, but then that was one that really, really stood out to me and has made me cry. So in the first four minutes of this, you've made me cry. Brilliant.
0: <laughs> oh... I think you've almost made me cry. Um, wow! Firstly, with the dog, we've spoken about dogs on the podcast. Actually, there's a guest, Mark Nepo, who's an amazing and um, best-selling author, spiritual writer, and poet. And um, he spoke about his relationship with his dog. Um, I've had a dog for about three years, and I really, really get it the there's a soul connection like you you yeah. can have that, and I think it sounds really strange, but I often feel surprised that my dog can't speak.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, your dog can speak,
2: I'm you like, just can't hear it I'm like i I'm, i I do pickle's voice all the time, but pickle mainly says things that I want to say, so but she. <laughs> There's a really good book called um, Your Your Dog is Your Mirror. I can't remember who wrote it. I'm reading it at the moment. It's quite hard going, but it talks about this connection we have with our dogs. And, mm. and sometimes I think I'm mad. And sometimes I'm like, if people could see this, would they think I'm weird? Like I'm like married to this dog. Oh, but it is such a special <laughs> relationship. It's an unconditional relationship, mm. like 100%. I mean, you feed them and they love it. But even if you don't feed them, they still absolutely... No, everything like the energy, the energy exchange between you and the dog is a thing. And um I just, oh man, when I see a little face in the mornings, I'm just like, everything's gonna be all right. She's absolutely adorable.
0: I think, I think it's energy actually, it, that's what it is. They're, they have an energy, they pick up on your energy, and it's something you can't articulate, you can't really understand until you've experienced it so yeah no and this this book talks about that like it talks about how dogs don't think they feel like
2: they they don't think thoughts they feel feelings so Mm -hmm. that energy exchange if you're feeling anxious your dog is like what is that energy It's how they you know it's how they hunt it's how they know they're in a dangerous situation so it's brilliant because it's really made me think about how I feel and how when I'm anxious or if I'm upset about something or if I'm not dealing with something, that's not just having an effect on me, it's having an effect on pickle. Um, and it's just really helps me calm down. And, you know, now I've, I block time in my diary every day, to spend an hour or two hours of pickle watching TV or then out or just holding her little face and talking to her because I, she deserves that. She deserves that calm energy. And I, and I get so much back from her that, you know, it, it's just, it's just amazing. But yeah, it's a really great book, especially when you're trying to understand how they behave. Because even when I don't know I'm feeling anxious or worried, she does and she behaves like in accordance with it. Like if I see another dog coming up the road, I think she's going to go for it. I get all like, oh, before she's even seen the dog. And she's like, right. And she will go for it because she's like, oh, mummy's scared. I need to let like, you do something. So yeah, that, those moments with Pickle van, like mm-hmm. I just can't explain was lovely to meet someone that understands the dog thing, because sometimes people look at me like I'm quite odd. Um, <laughs> but even when I'm out running, dog's on the trails. It's the reason I never win anything. I'm like, oh, my God, a trail angel. And I'm magnetised towards it. And more often than not, it is like, hello. And I'm like, yes, hello, because they know. They just know dog people. They're amazing.
0: Definitely. I, it's interesting, that book. I think it explains that feeling that I have that the dog can pick up on what's going on. And obviously it actually is. So
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah, it's a thing. Well, thank you for sharing with us as well, your experience of, you know, your difficulty that you had, um, emotional sort of um, mental um, sort of difficult period that you went through. Um, Yeah. And how amazing to really feel completely, accepted and and loved during that time those experiences are are just so healing and well it's it's what helps us as humans to stay you know connected and and really I think provide that sense of hope and optimism that we all need you know to keep going I don't even know if it's I don't even know if it's like hope and optimism or anything like
2: that I think it's just it's the the basic human instinct it's you know but when you get into a state like that and I've been in that state for a long long time and someone is unconditional in their like acceptance of what you need
1: Mm.
2: it's almost a relief it's a relief like there's nothing wrong with me I'm not a terrible person like
1: Mm. you
2: you know at that point I was in like anhedonia, which is the state you get into where you don't care about anything so when they opened the door to the house my my dog was living with him at the time and I saw her and usually when I see my dog I'm like oh my god baby pie and I'm all over her but I looked at her and I felt nothing nothing I just felt nothing Mm. and and the fact that you know, I remember it so clearly and I really struggled to remember any other times. And I'm sure there are thousands of times I could tell you about thousands of races where I've had moments with people or events where I've had moments with people who've been in bits and, and I've managed to pull them out. And I could feel like, oh, there was this time when I helped this person in the desert or this time when this happened here. And, but I didn't remember that because that one was so important mm. that that moment was so important to me. It was like a huge relief. Like, I'm, I'm safe. I'm home. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of start to heal myself. And so, yeah, that was a real standout to me. And I don't know if he actually knows that. I see him like every few days, but I don't have actually told him that. I think I have. I'll make sure I get him to listen to this and then he'll know. <laughs>
0: he'll listen and then he'll really fully really appreciate what it means to you. Yeah. So, I, I wanted to start off by. Asking you about your background before you really got into running. So you spent 12 years in the music industry working for major record labels. Can you tell me about when you realised that the thing that you would absolutely loved, which was music, was slowly killing you? That's how you described it. Yeah, that's, that,
2: that's exactly how it was.
0: Um, so I'm writing my book at the moment and
2: writing a book is really hard. It is really hard writing this book is so hard because I'm struggling to get past this block of I went and did this job that I wanted to do it since I was 14 and it just broke me into a million bits because even now with like the knowledge I have about how people can be coercively controlled and how people can be what of a better word kind of brainwashed into a certain type of behaviour I still think it was all my fault I still think I wasn't good enough and I still think that that if I had been a stronger in inverted commas person, then maybe I would have got through it. But I I started working in the music industry when I was 27 and it took me seven years of applying for jobs to get this job. So I'd applied to every major label. I tried everything. And eventually I got a job working as a PA at a really big label. Um, and the first couple of years were like any sort of a new relationship with something you love. It's like, oh my God, you're amazing. This is great. I oh, am having the best time but slowly stuff started to become apparent about the way that that industry is run and the way that people behave within it. That a tiny voice in me was saying, this isn't right. But I was like, no, 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 this is how it is. This is how it is. This is the music industry. You need to harden up. You need to accept it. Um, and the other thing is we were told all the time. I say, we, I mean, my colleagues, the younger kids who worked in it, the newbies, everybody was told how lucky they were to be there. So it was never, you you know, you know, we're lucky to have you because you've got all these skills and you're great. It was, you are lucky to be here. So anything that was raised, anything that happened, it's like, remember, you're lucky to be here. Remember that everybody wants your job. Remember people kill for your job. So you just got on with it like it it was normal. Um, And it was, there was a lot of bullying. There was a a lot of sexism, so much sexism. There was misogyny, there was abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse. And every time something happened that was bad, you were just lucky to be there. So you didn't, you know, no one ever said anything. There were people that you were scared of. It's, it's kind of exactly how you imagine it to be. Um, if you you kind of watch a film, like kill your friends or something like that, it is like that. It's frightening. And you're so terrified of losing your job or so terrified of being found out to push at your job that you just go along with it. And I med- I medicated with alcohol because you can in music. People are always drinking all the time. I'm lucky I never took drugs. If I took drugs, I'd probably be dead by now. Um, but, you know, I kept trying to be like, it'll get better, you'll harden up, it'll be all right. Um, you learn who to not cross, you learn who to not talk to, you learn who to avoid, you learn how to behave, um, you learn to keep your head down. But it was awful, really bad. Um, and eventually... You know, I, I never really changed anything. I just thought it would be okay. So I just kept doing what I was doing, changed labels a couple of times. But it's endemic in any creative industry to be told that you're lucky to be doing something. But really, you're being underpaid, taken advantage of. Um, and, and that's how those industries can work. And they are so heavily male um, that they even if you behave in the same way as your male counterparts, you are treated very differently. You know, they use words like your reliability, you're emotional, you're overly emotional. Your bossy was always just how the females were described. Um, And yeah, it got to the point where I was extremely ill a couple of times, but I just kept going. I just kept, I'd take a few weeks off drinking. I'd take a little holiday, I'd come back. I wouldn't actually change anything, but I'd expect a different outcome it'll be better this time. This label will be different. These people will be different, but they won't. It's a, it's an industry that where everyone knows each other and it's always the same thing. And, you know, so on one side of it, there's the side of me, it it's like you, you weren't hard enough for it. You failed. And on the other side, there's a, look, you saw what was going on and you did the best thing you could do, which was to get out of it. But it took me a real long time to get out of it. And it. this,
0: yes, yeah. see it objectively for what it is when you're in it. And yeah. then though- I, it, was, it was a cult. It was a yeah, cult. It, it is a cult. That you know, that you know, you're lucky to be here, and there's like hundred other people that would, you know, jump at the chance of your job. They're so controlling and damaging, and there are, yeah, there are a few industries. Uh, journalism is is also quite similar, and it it's it's very unhealthy to be subjected to those kinds of beliefs and. It, it's a very difficult place to be. So it sounds like you really did the right thing by realizing that it wasn't good for you. Um, I did, but it wasn't a light bulb moment. There was no, oh, hang on a minute.
2: This is awful. I'm going to get out. It was a real gradual thing mm.
0: um, and it what, what the damage you, that. It, it, sorry, go on. I mean, what made you get into running? Were you running through that time or was there, did you decide to take up running and then did it change everything? People always ask this
2: and the thing I say to them is that running doesn't running won't save your life but it will buy you time and and i I started running, So I suffered, suffered from depression probably from the age of 16, but it was like the 90s and like you weren't depressed, you were just a teenager. And, um, you know, a lot of stuff happened with my family and I had this whole you're not good enough thing, this story that I started writing when I was 11 about not being good enough that just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled into music, being told I wasn't good enough, I was lucky, not good. And I got very depressed and I would use alcohol as a mechanism to control that depression in that it would shut it up for two, two and a half hours. But then ultimately the next day it's even worse because you've got the anxiety. And so you just start doing it again. And on it goes for 25 years. So I tried everything. I tried drugs. I tried all that stuff. I remember someone suggested, a doctor suggesting I get exercise and I hadn't done exercise in school. Um, And I remember going for a run from my little flat in Whitechapel just to see what would happen. And I actually felt, for about an hour better I felt like I wasn't thinking about topping myself so I was thinking about breathing um and it was horrible but it sort of went on from there and then when I started working in music um there were a couple of people I worked with who ran so I just started doing short distances with them at lunch times and it did make me feel better like genuinely did um and then I did what everyone does which is you know your first London marathon, I've seen it happen. Like I was, did it for charity and, and it sort of spiraled from there for me not getting the time I wanted at the marathon, which was completely arbitrary that I picked out of a magazine. Like I just, that, that was like a good time. I'll do that. Um, and I just started, I did the marathon like six years in a row, but I didn't do anything in between. I sort of just trained a bit. But, but as I, went from road running from marathon running my sister lived in dorset's where i'm from and she said why don't you come and do this a couple of trail runs and i was like what's a trail run and she's like oh it's like not on a road and i went along to a couple of these and i met these people that were so lovely and so encouraging and welcoming and kind and i'd not experienced that because i was living in london working music all i experienced was How much money do you earn? How many records have you sold? How many famous people do you know? What can you do for me? You know, it's all about this imaginary world that you kind of inhabit. But these people on these runs didn't want to know any of that. They were just wanted to run. And it was like the same, the reason I love music is a shared community. So going to a custom bring like, seeing and everyone's there for the same thing and there's no arguments there's no politics there's no none of that everyone is everyone is singing along to Coldplay even if they don't like Coldplay and that's amazing trail running was the same we're just there for one reason and I felt this like acceptance and I just loved it and I loved the fact that you didn't have to get time and you didn't have to you know it was on a road and there was obstacles in the way like trees and roots and you were seeing parts of the country you hadn't seen before and it it really kind of calmed me down. Um, I was still working in music. I was still drinking way too much and I was still an absolute mess. But when I was running, I was all right. So that's what, why I started running more, basically.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it was like a respite for you. It was like a, a sort of a pause and it's it, yeah. it a place where you connected reconnected with yourself and and then there was this community aspect to it too so I can yeah. understand why you were drawn into it and, and you wanted to keep doing it and you wanted to keep doing more and more yeah. but to to do marathons so quickly I mean did you did you just find it easy did did running come easily to you did long distances come easy to you or, or were you just quite competitive I'm
2: absolutely the least competitive person in the world. The only person that I'm competitive with is me. And I'm horribly competitive with me because I have this, you're not enough story. Um, So, and no, it doesn't come easy. And one of the things that kind of gets my goat a bit is that nowadays people are like, oh, that's easy for you. And I'm like, it's honestly not. There are mornings where I wake up and I don't, in fact, every morning I wake up and don't want to run. I don't leap out of bed. That's an Instagram lie. People don't leap out of bed into their trainers and do a stretch and run out the door they're like oh my god I really don't want to go running today you have to motivate yourself but I believe people that have gone through you know mental health struggles or just struggles in life are better at motivating themselves than people that haven't because you know pain and you you know like that sometimes you have to do things that you might think you don't want to do to, Mm -hmm. to to push yourself to to feel the next
0: kind of level of Contentment or happiness—it's such a weird thing. I know. But- I, really, I get that. I really do. I think it's like that sense of when you've known suffering and then you've come through it, you're able to actually apply that that kind of growth in other areas of your life, and maybe you're not so afraid of of the suffering, and you kind of you recognize it, and you think, right, okay, we can we can do this, rather than. And you're grateful. You yeah. are grateful. You're grateful for when you don't feel it,
2: mm. and
0: and that's a really big
2: thing for me. And the first six marathons I ran, I did it because I just wanted to get a better time, ta- better times for myself. But I just but I basically started to enjoy it. It's such a, stra- a strange thing running because people, like, I love running, and I do. I love running. I credit running with everything that it's brought me in my life. But I don't like it. Of course, I don't like it. Who likes having to run fifty miles a week or having to Get out, get out even when it's raining and cold. Like, I don't like it, but I absolutely love it and I know I have to do it. Like I haven't run today, and I didn't run yesterday because I'm on a sort of taper for this big event. I feel awful today. Awful. I'm going out later this afternoon with my friend um Julius, the guy who helped me with that b- back when I wasn't well. But I'm like itching to go out now. But I'm not, I can't because I'm on this taper and I'm like, you can't just run. 10 miles a day when you're supposed to not be it's and it's it's a bit of a battle but I kind of enjoy that feeling of god you feel awful because you haven't run because it reminds me Mm. that you have to get out and do it and Mm. and you know going those longer distances you know I went from marathons to ultras pretty quickly and when I got involved with ultras that was it it was like I think I ran like one year I ran like 46 ultras in a year like every weekend I was out doing it because
0: what, what, it was an why escape. Adventures? Why? Why the long distances? What, what, what drove you to try them? And, and how, how do they feel different?
2: Um, so what drove me to try them was my, my sister, again, Like, was like, oh, man, there's this ultra marathon. And I'm like, what's an ultra marathon? And she's like, it's just like longer than a marathon. And this particular one was 36 miles. And I just thought, I wonder if I can do it. I literally just thought, I wonder if I can do that. Might as well give it a go that was it it wasn't anything more than that and i did it and it wasn't that it was fun i loved it but but the end of it was horrible because it, it was a massive hill but the whole way through i was like can i do this Does anyone can could do this when i finished it it's not like when i finished my first marathon i was like oh my god like you've done something amazing Mm. And I spent so many years telling myself I wasn't enough. And I spent so many years, even when I've achieved amazing things, have number one singles, number one albums, whatever it was, I've been then asked, yeah, but why didn't you sell 100,000 copies? It's like, Mm. you sold 98,000. Why didn't you sell 100,000? Yeah, but why isn't it number one on all the iTunes charts? But why isn't it this good? And it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because I would always seek out the negative in everything. So I would end up messing up relationships, messing up work, messing up friendships um and that constant questioning of my own self-worth by myself Mm. is agonizing and painful and the only way to escape it was running or drinking and I was better at drinking much better at drinking and drinking was always available and drinking was everywhere and everybody was drinking but when I ran I could get out of my own head um but that only, would only last while i was running which is why i say it bought me time because it bought me the time to think and believe me i've run a lot of ultras a lot of hundred milers and a lot of multi days. and i've been in places with no phone reception and no ability to contact people and that's bought me the silence to come face to face with myself and you don't have that now you, you can never you, i don't believe that people have the ability to come face to face with themselves in modern society with phones ipads internet alexa Your family, your job, your friends, even when you're going to bed, if you're worried about something, you will distract yourself with a mindfulness app where you're listening to somebody else's voice telling you what to think. You're not actually like clawing into yourself and being like, what is going on here that you feel the need to tell yourself these awful things?
0: That's true. You get
2: that. You get that when you're out on a trail, you get that on the Southwest coast path in the middle of the night, you get that in a jungle in Panama, you get it in a desert in Namibia, because you are alone and there is no one to help you. So you have to help yourself and it's painful and it's horrible and it rips you to bits. It strips you down to like the bare bones of who you are, but it's so important. (laughs) It's so important to do. Um, And that's why I think everyone should do it. Basically, Everyone should do something that frightens them.
0: Yes, I, I so agree. For the people who aren't really, you know, very, very knowledgeable about running, for the listeners who don't really understand what ultramarathons are, tell us what is an ultramarathon? How long is it? Do you, do you have any breaks? How does it work? So generally,
2: um, I love this because usually I do running podcasts, so I'm just like, oh, this is normal. i am do it. This is normal. It's not normal. Um, So an ultra marathon, a marathon is 26.2 miles. A marathon is a distance, not a pace. It's a distance. So every marathon will be 26.2 miles. An ultra is anything over that distance. But generally in the running world, people turn their noses up at anything under 30 miles. So usually it's 30 miles plus. Um, And the most popular distances will be 50K, which is, I don't know why they do it in K. It's 50K and 100K, which is 34 miles or 36 miles and 62 miles. Wow. 50 miles 100 miles and those are the most common ultras that you get under the big four um then you get multi-day ultras which will be like 30 miles a day for three days or famous ones like marathon which is five days across the moroccan desert um you know and then you get huge great massive famous ones like utmb out in switzerland um you get there's the Barclay Marathons. I'm sure lots of people are aware of the the fabled Barclay Marathons. Only 50 finishes, um, but yeah uh, my my general my general area of, of expertise, the stuff I really like is the 50 miler,s the 100 miler,s and then the multi days. I love the multi days.
0: And with the like the 50 mile, I mean, I mean, am I being stupid here? Is that that's not without stopping?
2: So, so 50 mile mar- 50 miles tends to be a non stop race, and they say non stop, and that you're not going to go to sleep but you can have a break. They, they usually have a time uh, limit on them for safety reasons. So they'll, I think Centurion are my favourite race company. If anyone's interested in looking at ultras, um, Centurion running do the, the best for, for, for beginners. Their 50 miles have a 15-hour time limit, so you need to be able to complete 50 miles in 15 hours. And that is a safety precaution for the course, which means you're not running alone at night. They can fully support you. You have aid stations. They call them aid stations. Some people call them checkpoints, every kind of depending on the length of the race and depending on the difficulty of the race centurion do it about every sort of eight to ten miles so every, every eight to ten miles you'll come across the table with loads of loads of food and drink and you'll just eat a load of food and drink some delicious drinks and go on you carry the majority of your stuff with you you carry water you carry your snacks carry your first aid kit and all that stuff so you wear you wear a little bag um but you get various levels of difficulty so you know you've got your centurion introductory 50 miler but then you've got like the dragon's back race which is six days twelve thousand foot of elevation right down the back of the middle of wales um that is like the toughest mountain race on earth um and you know it, it all like everything there are levels to it I, I would if you want to compare it to football it's like the premiership versus your local team it's and everything in between you can you can choose what you do so yeah, yeah. that that's that's kind of the the lowdown on what right. it is okay.
0: So you have done a lot. You've done a lot, a lot of these and they sound like completely extreme and crazy to me. So there was the Lake Kofskol in Mongolia. So that's running across ice. Yeah,
2: so Lake Kovskal is a lake in Mongolia and it is the biggest lake in Mongolia. It's 100 miles long. And in the summer, it's all lovely and lakey. And in the winter, it's minus 42 and frozen and about a metre thick. So um, we went out, I was working for a company called Rat Race and we went out to test whether or not it was possible to run from one end to the other across four days and camp on the edge of the lake at night um, because we wanted to put it on as an event for people. So we did. And it was, it was very cold um and and they do loads of events like that and i've tested a lot of their their events for things like that and, th- and that's a really extreme end of it you know that's like mm. a very extreme end of it you can go and book into a 50 miler anywhere in the uk anywhere be fully supported and it'll be and it'll be fine well, um maybe you you know, the it's out there of it's the- this mental world mm. but when you're in that world like when you're in the music industry you think it's normal so you're like oh yeah just go crack off a 50 mile like you know on friday i'm going up I'm doing the yorkshire three peaks for the fourth time this year because i'm like that's yeah, just the yorkshire three peaks but the thing that we have to remember and i have to remember is the yorkshire three peaks for some people is a bucket list once in a lifetime thing but i go up there and train on it because it's local and i'm used to it so it's not this is the thing it's not that ultra runners are better than anyone else or marathon runners are better than anyone else it's just that's what they've chosen as their as their speciality. And it's like anything you practice really hard or you practice not really hard. You, you, you embed it into your life and it becomes normal, really, really normal. And, um, and that's kind of what it, what it's become to me. Like, like I say, there are these extreme things you can go and do, there's loads of those, but there's also the nice ones, the, the cuddly ones
0: interesting that yeah that, that it feels that way for you um so you've also crossed the namib desert twice you're the first woman to run the full length of the panama canal and you've mm-hmm. the outer hebrides and um, well there's loads of other events but it sounds like what you're always doing is you're pushing yourself to your limits and the thing that comes up for me when i look at these events is trust So I imagine that you must have a deep sense of trust in something in your body or in the universe for supporting you in these endeavours or I don't know, I just wonder what part does trust play for you in the undertaking of these incredible challenges? I don't know if it plays any, I've never thought about it like that before. I've really never thought
2: about it like that before. Um, Really, I think there was definitely an element of pushing yourself to as far as you can go like where is the edge um and like I found the edge for me in J- in January when I went and ran the Ark of Attrition which is the hardest hundred in the UK it runs from Cowles where is it it runs in the bottom of Cornwall all the way down past the wizard over Land's End and then up back to Port Truth. it's awful because it's the 28th of January. So it's dark, it's cold. You start at 12 o'clock midday, so you've got four hours of daylight then you go into the dark and it takes a long time and it's gnarly and cold and wow. windy and wet. Oh. Yeah, and it's right on the edge of the, it's on the Southwest Coast path, so it's right on the edge. Mm. And I had trained so hard for it and I got to mile 75 and I was throwing up food out both ends. I was so exhausted and I pulled, and I, I DNFed, so I did not finish. I just was like, I can't do this anymore. Mile seventy. It wasn't a me- wow. Yeah, mile 75. It wasn't a mental problem. It was a physical problem, and it was awful. But I'll come back to that in a bit. So, like, I, that's, that was my limit at that time. But I've done stuff before where I haven't had the option to get out. So when I was in Panama, across Panama on foot, and we, we stayed in the jungle, and we were, it was the most terrifying experience of my life but the most exhilarating in that that's one of the places I came face to face with Ali Bailey like literally Mm -hmm. like looking in a mirror and seeing who I keep wanting to swear I'm trying not to swear but seeing who you really are Mm -hmm. like because you you face yourself down you're tired you're hungry you don't have any alcohol or drugs or anything to balance it out you've got other people but they're in their zone. You've got a few other people. And so you have to deal with you and you can't get out of that situation. And I think the pain, the mental pain and the all the awful stuff that like the depression and the and the stuff that makes me depressed has bought me. It's almost like I am going in to battle with that. And it's like, you will not stop me doing this. Mm. And it's, you're saying it to yourself. You're like, you will not stop me doing this, Ali. You won't. And because, and coming out of the end of it, um, whether you've DNFed or whether you've done it, you've had this experience which has actually been 100%. percent we have been present. You've been 100% present in what you are doing and 100% present in your own life you haven't been living it through a youtube video or tiktok or instagram you've been living it in your life and you learn so much more about your capabilities and not just in running but in life you know i have very very strict boundaries now and running has brought me that it's like i don't accept these things i'm not going to accept that but that's not for me i'm going to say no to, to more stuff and i'm going to say yes to more things that i know will kind of enrich my life it sounds really really hippy dippy but Going back to your question about trusting, I guess it's an element of trust in yourself because you have to trust that you will deal with the outcome, whatever the outcome is. And sometimes the outcome is not rosy. Sometimes you don't walk away with a big shiny buckle and, and a bottle of whatever. Sometimes you finish a race. Some, I have finished races before, big long 100 milers where I've basically got to the end and just been like, that was awful. You're rubbish. That time was terrible. You should have done better. And it's like you've just run 100 miles Ali like Mm. you've just run 100 miles but still because of the negative bias everybody on earth suffers with all you can do is pick holes in the bad stuff um but you take that and then you go home with it and you take it to pieces and you go why was i thinking that and i was thinking that because in my life experience i've constantly been told i'm not enough so i'm now telling myself i'm not enough i'm telling myself that wasn't good enough when actually. It completely was. So it helps me to rewrite the story. And the old story was so diabolical, so horrible to myself. I still am. The old story will never go away. The Old Testament, I like to call it. It's there. It's huge. But the new story is tiny and it's being written. Every time I revisit the old one, it's like, I'm going to cross that bit out and I'm going to rewrite it like this. And that's how I see the ultra running. It's like, it's always a different experience. I could do the same race four years in a row always a different experience because of British weather. In a marathon, you've got, what, four five hours, six, seven maybe hours of weather in England on a road. In an ultra marathon, you can have twenty between 24 and 38 and 100 hours of weather on a trail you've never been on that has its own weather system with weird, other weird people and you spend a lot of that time by yourself. Whereas in a road marathon, you've got thousands of people on a trail marathon or ultra, you don't you're alone and that is such an important thing for people to experience being alone facing yourself down being really honest with yourself and ultimately what comes out of all that which I think is relevant to this podcast is self-care and recognition that you are enough and recognition that you're incredible and you're going to look after yourself and that's when I DNF that race back in January I was like this is really embarrassing everyone knows I'm taking part they've seeded me as one of the people to come top three everyone's going to think I'm a failure I came back I came out of it and I was just like you are an embarrassment Ali but I when I get those feelings I literally physically out loud now go stop put my little hands up I'm like stop 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 and I'm like you just ran 75 miles in the southwest coast Path." in the middle of winter, in a race that has a 70% non-finisher rate, You did okay. Lots of people failed on their first day. Did you learn something? And what I learned was me stopping was actually the ultimate act of self-care. And all the stuff I taught myself over the past 10 months after my big, big breakdown about being kind to yourself, i put into practice in saying, I've had enough. I'm going to stop. Like, I'm just going to stop. And I'm going to, Go home, and I'm going to work out what went wrong. It was the ultimate act of self care. It was not a failure. It was me saying, "You've you've done enough now, Ellie. Like you can you can stop." And I and I've never been like that before. It's only it's only through running that that I've discovered this. Like, it's okay to be nice to yourself. The nicer you are to yourself, the more often you can go running. <laughs> so oh,
0: well, it works like that. A really interesting part of it, and and I I'm I'm really fascinated by you know with these kinds of challenges I mean even like a marathon I mean you're talking about ultra marathons which are like a number of marathons all kind of you know run you know one after the other and I can't even imagine being able to run a whole marathon but I I often wonder like what is that that enables somebody to to go into a challenge like that and actually you know see it through is it a sort of a a letting go? Is it like a tenderness or is it a pushing energy? And I think what you just described there, where you, you allowed yourself to stop, where you really listened to what your body was telling you, that's definitely a tenderness. But I'm wondering if there is a sort of an allowing in the pushing through as well, if you see what I mean. So I'm wondering if you ever get to a point where your mind is telling you that you can't carry on, but you can. It's just a story that your mind has and how you differentiate between that and really knowing that it's time to stop.
2: When I first started running ultras, I was very ill, still very ill. I'd had a couple of really severe mental breakdowns, but like I said, I changed nothing. I still was doing the job. I still was drinking too much. I still was like you know oh it's because of this it's because of this it's because of where i live it's because of my boyfriend or it's be- it's like no Ali, it's because of you it's because of the stories you're telling yourself but i didn't know that at the time so my first 100 mile i did it back of a very severe borderline psychiatric breakdown and the re- my reason for that was basically f you brain you are not going to win i'm going to show you i'm talking to myself here i'm going to show you that you can run 100 miles and jesus christ it was so hard but mm. I was fueled by rage. I was fueled by rage. I was fueled by anger that I'd gone through this awful mental health period. I was literally fighting myself because I was like, you, you, the good part of me is like, come on, you can go and go and do this. It will cure you. You'll leave all your demons out there and it will cure you. And suddenly you'll be an ultra it. everything will be great. Spoiler alert. That's not what happens. I did leave a lot of demons out on the trail, but then I, then I got back and they all opened my bedroom door in the middle of the night and came in and went, well, that's done, now what? And I was like, oh my God, now what? And I just fell in, I call it the happiness tax, off a cliff and into the big vat of the happiness tax, which is just, no one cares. Um, and, um, and that's how it started off at the beginning. But as I've done more and more, there's a lot less of that rage. There's a lot more gratitude that comes in that I can do it. There's a lot more respect for my body. There's a lot more respect for looking after myself outside of running. So eating properly, sleeping properly, doing what Nims calls the basics. Well, like if you can do the basics well in life, you'll be okay. And that's eating, drinking enough water, exercising, and working on yourself. Mm. But you know, I think when people are like, I could never do that. That's the story you are telling yourself. That's not true. If you separate the fact from the fiction, where's your evidence that you could never do that? Did you try and do it once and fail? No. Have you done anything like it before and failed? No. So why can you never do it? That's, it's absolute fallacy. And that's, that's the stuff that I've really learned over the last, you know, from being sober, basically. I got sober 10 months ago and it's really made me very, very razor sharp. It's very painful because you have to feel feelings. You can't just drink feelings away. But, um, you know, it's, it's these stories we tell ourselves. And when people say, oh, man, I could never run a marathon, I literally want to run to their house, open their door, give them a massive cuddle and be like, of course you can run a marathon. Like, Let's talk about your life. Most, people, most of these people, and a lot of them are women, have had children. The ultimate endurance event having a child and forgetting about pain that right. makes you a better endurance runner then they've raised those children and for three or four years maybe longer the ultimate endurance event lack of sleep you have to keep going you have no option you cannot stop you have to look after yourself it's the same thing but just in a different lane and I, you know i don't have children so and i purposely chose not to because of my mental health because i was like i i just can't give Give this to anyone else i don't want to put this on anyone else so when i look at people that have had kids or people that um you know have these real high-flying jobs and like really intense lives i think that they're heroes i've got a client who's got a daughter who is profoundly disabled to the point where she needs 24-hour day care but she is got training to run 100k And she's like, I'm such a bad runner. I don't, you know, oh, I'm not very good at it. And I'm like, oh my God, the work you do at home that goes completely unnoticed is more than this. Like you all, everyone does more. People think running a marathon is painful because that's the story they've seen on the TV or the story they've read in a magazine or the story that they've seen in Runner's World. But that, life is painful, man. Life is an endurance event. Running can really show you physically in a short space of time, what you're capable of it gives you a direct result Mm. but in life you never get that direct result because you're constantly striving for the next thing Mm. whereas running marathons running ultras there's a start there's a middle there's an end and if you can frame your mind properly you can get to that end like you do through life like most people will get to the end like but in trying to get to the end they're constantly trying to achieve something else Going out and running 100 miles when you get to the end of 100 or 50 miles or 13 miles, whatever it is, that's validation, immediate validation. You get a medal and everybody thinks, "Oh, that's lovely." Or, Do you know what? In my world, no one thinks that because no one cares anymore because everyone's off doing more and more and more stuff. And that's another trap you fall into is, "Oh my God, I might have run 100, 400 miles this year, but I haven't run this that so and so has done." It's like you know, comparing yourself and all that sort of stuff. And that's a, that's another conversation for another time. And so. I have suffered with in the past, but I just think when, when anyone you, listening to this is like, I can't identify with it. I can't, I, there's no way I could do that. Take a look at what you've achieved in your life and, and then mean, come back to me.
0: Yeah. Is that what you mean by big energy? I know you've talked about that and that ev- we all have it. We can all access it. Is that what you mean by big energy? The fact that we're all doing, yeah, the- achieving these things in our lives and that can actually translate across in running?
2: Yeah, and, it, and it, it absolutely can translate across in running.
0: Um,
2: it's just, it's not really about, you know, there's big energy, but then there's also the most important thing is the stories that you're telling yourself. Because the stories that you're telling yourself, most people will tell themselves aren't true. They're, if you separate the facts, if you literally get a bit of paper, write down the story, and then do two columns and put facts at the top, fiction at the, at the top of one, fiction at the top of the other write down the actual facts that in a court of law could be proved and there will be very few of them. Mm. The rest of it is fiction. And and, it's it's more than like the big energy. It's more like um, self-understanding, I think, or even just serialisation, realising that maybe the things that you've believed in the past about yourself aren't actually things that are facts, you know, like I might, not, I, I might not think I'm good enough to be a partner to someone or I might not think I'm good enough to do this, that or the other. But when I write down that story as to why, none of it is based in fact. It's all based in thought. Thoughts are not facts, thoughts are stories.
0: It's, it's having that objectivity and being able to kind of zoom out and see things with that bigger perspective. And it sounds like running has really helped you to do that. So, and that's amazing. It gives you thought time, man, that you don't have
2: anywhere else. Go out on a trail for four hours on your own with no headphones. And you have to get from A to B and you can't get out. No one's going to pick you up. If you start, if you don't run, you have to walk. So then, and have a think, go and try it without and- your phone, without anything, because you'll find it extremely hard. You don't listen to music or podcasts or... I. I always take my headphones and when I first started running I couldn't go out without them in case there's an emergency situation that emergency situation is I'm bored because <laughs> like, it does get boring if you're in a hundred miler and you're like oh man I've only done 25 miles got no one to talk to but there's a that's a decision You if you choose to listen to music because that's what you want to do choose to listen to music because that's what you want to do if you are if you choose to have a drink because that's what you want to do choose to have a drink it's when you don't choose anymore when you desperately battle to distract yourself in any way you can so i purposefully always start a race with no headphones they're always in my bag for emergencies but the amount of times i use them now is so rare it's so rare um that i'll get them out really rare because i just like listening to what's going on around me i like listening i run a lot in the countryside mostly in the countryside mountains peak district Yorkshire three peaks i run a lot in wales i run a lot in the southwest coast path just to be in it sounds so hippie-ish but just it's a privilege to be in the nature like that it's a privilege to be somewhere you can't hear cars or sirens it's a privilege to be to hear that cracking under your feet and and to see things other people don't get to see because they choose to go and exercise in a gym or they choose to go and exercise without their tv or whatever it is and people say to me what's all right for you you're a running coach you get to do this all the time if you want to go out running outside, make a choice and make it a priority and put it in your diary and go and do it. It's, everyone has a choice. So the benefits of it from being outside are so huge that now I'm like, nah, i am just either start having a chat with someone on the, on the trail or if they don't want to talk to me, I will just take in the majesty of, of where I am because I find that incredibly comforting and, and inspiring and wonderful. Mm. I am proper hippie now. Like if I take my clients out, sometimes I make them stop in the middle of a run. I'm like, "Oh my god, look at this field!" And they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Look at it! Like last week, the grass was two centimeters. Now they're six.
0: Isn't that amazing?" People are like, "Are you drunk?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> look at it." it's like the ultimate exercise in presence isn't it like you're actually fully present like you're noticing the graphs you're noticing your feelings you're noticing that you have these difficult feelings you're fully faced with yourself and you're there and you you have to be there you have to breathe like you said you have to focus on breath you have to put one step in front of the other and yeah I think it that's what makes it such an incredible experience actually I think that's, that's yeah it is. it's that bringing you into presence and yeah I'm running without and that, that presence thing that's really important because a lot of people believe
2: that when they're present with themselves they will be calm and happy like they're meditating mm. but when you are present with yourself properly the first I'd say few times but if I'm really present with myself, I find it excruciatingly painful because there are thoughts and feelings that I, you cannot get rid of a thought and a feeling comes from a thought. You cannot get rid of a thought. It's impossible. It's like that whole, don't think of an elephant. You cannot get rid of it. So you have to be curious with it and be like, that's a really interesting thought. I'm thinking that I'm not good enough or I'm thinking I'm a terrible person or I'm thinking I'm going to be alone together. Three of my top favourite things to think about myself. But I'm like, that's really interesting. Instead of now, saying, oh my God, think about something else. Think about what you are going to do at the weekend or listen to music. I'm like, that's really interesting. I wonder where that's come from. Hmm, where can that come from? Is it because of this? Is it because, and you are present in your own thoughts and you take, you're running along, just taking them to pieces and it dissipates. The feeling dissipates. It's just temporary. And the more you do it, it's like those thoughts get afraid of being there because they know they're going to get find out, found out. Thoughts can be liars. And if a liar is called out, it will back off. Mm-hmm. It's what like, well, you're being called out. You're
0: being. It's that presence. You're watching. I mean, it's like people have this idea. The way you describe running is a lot like the way meditators describe meditating. It's, it's not that you don't have thoughts it's actually that you notice thoughts you see them come Mm -hmm. and you notice them and then you can start to gain perspective and curiosity around those thoughts rather than believing them and being Mm -hmm. you can have that distance so yeah amazing that it's it's had that impact on you and I'm sure it does for many people that's why I think it's such a, a particular type of physical activity I think the distances really help and I think also just the the kind of the the way that it feels in your body because there's a rhythm to it isn't there
2: yeah there is and then you say the way it feels in your body but I'm telling you this but I have to give on it can be
0: so painful and there is so much
2: awful stuff that goes along with it like being sick and all the other things that happen to your body aching being so t- hallucinating that's always a good one I love a good hallucination um, but It's living, it's presence It's like woohoo, I'm hallucinating In the middle of the night, I've not taken any drugs And I'm not drunk
0: Like It's being living, it's being present And I love that you are explaining all of this to us because as someone who's never even attempted a marathon, let alone an attempt, you know, a, a, an ultra marathon, it's wonderful to hear how excruciatingly difficult it is. Because like you said, you have this idea that you only do it because it's easy. And I think it's really important to understand that, you know, it's it's in the really difficult stuff. That's where we grow. It's Absolutely. In- in those moments where we just don't think that we can do it and it, it's painful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like curiosity about fear because people
2: are scared. They're scared they're going to fail and there is absolutely nothing wrong with failing. Nothing. Failure is brilliant. It's how we all learn to walk. It's how we learn not to eat glass. It's how like, we learn how to not fall over. Like Failure is brilliant. Like I learned from my... Uh, not finishing the Ark of attrition. You know, that wasn't failure. That was the best recce of all time. I've done 75 miles, but I know exactly what's going to happen next year. Next year I'll go back and I'll do the best I can again to finish it. Like, but it's that real curiosity about the fear and people and the myths around ultra running just drive me mad. Like, The myths around training fit, the myths around what you have to do, the myths around this, that, and the other. But all the snippets you're getting off social media about how to be an ultra runner are literally the tips of icebergs. There's very few people that will say it like it is and anyone can give it a go. You just need to prioritize it in your life. And, And in prioritizing it, you're not missing out on anything. You're not missing out on time with your family or time at work. You're giving yourself really important time. It's a meeting with yourself when you go out for a training run. Mm. You know, a training run is an ultra training run is a very slow job and learning how to eat a load of sandwiches. A lot of people say ultras are just eating competitions with running thrown in. 100% true. How much can you eat? But, you know, there is pain and there is stuff that goes wrong and there is like anything, like life, there is pain, there is stuff that goes wrong, there is stuff that you think, do you know what, I'm not going to do that again. And then there are days where it works out so well for you. But, you know, what there isn't in ultra running is, is the distraction. There is, you know, you choose whether or not you want to come face-to-face with yourself, strip yourself down to absolutely zero, like zero, and look at yourself and go, right, this is really interesting. And I'm coming out the other end of it now where I'm like, I actually quite like you, Ali, you're all right, which is a revelation. Because I used to be like, "I would rather be anyone but me, but running has bought me the time to understand that most of the stuff I've told myself is not true
0: well, and amazing, that's amazing amazing that you've you've had that experience through it the The myths that you just mentioned around endurance running, uh, I wonder if you can sort of tell us what some of those are because uh, you started to really connect with people on social media before you started coaching runners. And I, I saw that people were asking lots of questions, messaging you. I'm just, I'm wondering what kind of things were they asking you? Were they asking you about these myths around ultra running or was it just others? Most of them are women
2: who tell me they're not good enough. I'd love to do this, but I'm not good enough. I'd love to do this, but I don't have time. That's the one I don't have time. You've got as much time as every single other human in the world. But there's two definites with humans. One, we will all die. Two, we will have 24 hours a the day. Everyone's got the same amount of time. It's up to you how you use that time, right? People think to train for an ultra or even to train for a marathon, you need to be running like 20 hours a week. You don't. You need two or three hours a week, maybe, maybe, maybe four hours a week to get marathon fit, five or six towards the, last, the latter stages. For an ultra, you can get it done in 10, 15 hours a week, which really, when you look at how much time you spend on Instagram, on your phone, go in your screen time and look at how many hours you spend on that. You can take half of that away and then you're already doing it. And how much time you spend procrastinating or like worrying about the fact that you wish you could do a marathon, but you can't. So it's a lot of women telling me this story about they don't think that they're good enough or what can I do? Or another classic, my husband or my partner has told me they don't think I can do it, and I am like, if your partner, husband, friend is telling you you can't do it, that's because they can't do it. Because people often say that it's like you hold a mirror up. I am going to run a marathon. You hold a mirror up, and people go, oh, oh my god, I could never do that. Like you aren't going to do that, and it's like, no, you, what you mean is you can't do that. I can, and your opinion is none of my business. It's your opinion of yourself. So I often say that to them. But then there is the stuff like, what will I eat? Like, where do I go to the toilet? Like, you know, um, won't my legs fall off? Where do I sleep? And I'm like, well, you don't go to sleep because, hey, man, like most of us have spent time in our teenage years having two hours sleep and then go to work, right? That's endurance. Like most, a lot of people have had children and have gone through a year of broken sleep. That's Mm. endurance. Like, you know, what do I eat? You eat what you normally eat. Like, you know, if you're going out to run all day, you have your breakfast, you start running, you have a snack, and then lunchtime comes. So you have a sandwich or a packet of crisps or a sandwich and a packet of crisps and a biscuit. And then you keep running till snack time and then you have your dinner. And if you're running a hundred miles, you just do that. Like you would normally, it's what you learn to eat and run. I can't run after eating. It says I've run as well. You have to wait an hour, but I've eaten a whole pizza while running along and nothing bad has happened to me. So, you know, if you're sick running a marathon or sick running an ultra, it's usually because you've been running too fast. And it's usually because you've eaten too much fiber, or you've eaten something that doesn't agree with you. So like anything you have to test the staff, you have to, you know, work out what you're going to eat, what you like eating, how to eat, how much water to drink. There's all those bits, but that's fun. That's just a fun way. You know, you don't, when you get your first bike, you don't get your first bikes on 8,000 pound road bike. Isn't it? It's a bike with stabilizers and you learn and you learn and eventually they come off. And it's exactly the same thing. I think people see images on social media of runners, especially women, or men ripped, tiny calves, you know, that's not what ultra runners look like go to an ultra and you'll see people from all walks of life all shapes and sizes all incredible athletes like the word athlete describes anyone that is willing to stand at the start line of an event not a race an event um and so yeah I just I did write a blog actually about the social media lie about how it puts people off doing this stuff um it's as always, social media is the the tiniest, it's 1% of the reality of what is going on with people. 1% of the sexy bit of ultra running, you know, everybody's running up mountains in Chamonix. No, some people are running loops around a cider farm in in Somerset, but they're still having the same good time as the guys in Chamonix. Better time, because they're not, you know, they're not racing up 9,000 feet of elevation. So I just wish that I could change, I wish I could do a Joe Wicks on people and say, look, just come to one ultra event, one lapped ultra event, have a go, do one lap, like a four mile lap and, and maybe do another one a bit later or walk it. You can walk a bit if you want, you don't have to run the whole time. Like, cause it just gives people, the exercise is obviously scientifically proven to raise your serotonin levels, but it makes you proud of yourself, man. It does. Once you get over that, I hate myself bit. You can feel really, really proud of yourself by doing stuff like this. Um, you can meet amazing new people and you can, and you meet people that change your life. Like my clients inspire me every day. Like all of them inspire me every day. They're so dedicated to what they're doing and they're having a great time while they're doing it. So, and they're learning loads of stuff about themselves, which makes me really happy. So, yeah, if anyone listening to this thinking, oh, might, maybe, maybe don't maybe, like go and find a crew of people that are doing it who are lovely
0: and go and join in. Don't join in with the cool kids in the playground. Yeah, well, it sounds like the actual coaching side of things has really sort of given you a huge amount of fulfilment, um, just as much as the amount of fulfilment you get from running. Like, can you talk a bit about that? What is it about working with people and, and helping them to achieve their goals that, you know, really feels good? The first thing I'll say about this
2: is, I play a very min- minute part in people's goals because ultimately, okay, so there's this amazing saying, um, a recovery saying, It's um, there's a book called We Are the Luckiest by Laura McKeown, like one of my favourite sober books. And in it, she says, um, you cannot do this alone, but only you can do this. And that is what I say to my clients. Like, you can't do it alone because you need support. You need support. You might need support from a coach. You might not. You need support from your family, your crew, the people who love you to be like, you've got this. I believe in you. You can do it. But only you can do it. And when I started coaching, um, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I I don't know what I'm doing, but I do know what I'm doing because I've coached myself. And the people that I've taken on, there's like 15 of them. They're from all walks of life. They're men, they're women, they're like dads, mums. Some of them are older some of them are super young some have never run an ultra some are doing their third hundred miler but every single one of them has shown such fortitude like I just write them a plan and call them every week and chat to them about what's going on in their life and and it's very holistic where I coach I'm not like go and do your sprint session go and do your intervals go and do this I'm like here's how much I want you to run in a week and here's your long run Go and tell me what it's like. I go and meet them a lot. I go and run with them a lot. I sometimes do events with them. So we get like 12 hours together of just running and chatting because it's about their life. If they need a coach, something's holding them back and I don't know what that is. So I have to get right under the skin of them to work out what it is. And a lot of the time it's a story that they've told themselves.
0: Hmm.
2: And a lot of the time they have got a history of mental health issues or a history of just real lack of self-care beating themselves up, comparing themselves to other people all the time. And we just pull that apart. And, I'm, and I and I, put them in contact with groups. Like I have a Facebook group called Ultra Awesome, which is amazing. If anyone's interested in ultras, go in there and ask any question because there is no such thing as a stupid question. Um, I put them into groups like that, groups like Bad Boy Running, I get them to listen to podcasts, I get them to come to the running show and I get them to meet real people who are lovely, So they can go, oh, yeah, that guy's just like me, but he just ran 250 miles around the Thames Ring. Like, when you recognise yourself in a group of people, it's like a festival. You go to a festival and you recognise yourself in all those people because you all share the same love and it's the same with running. If you feel like you're part of a community and you feel supported, you're empowered to really give it a go. You get good advice. You get no no judgement because that's the other thing. There should be no judgement in running. Anyone that has run, anyone that's actually put on a pair of trainers a pair of shorts and gone out for a run is a runner the end doesn't matter if you walk a bit doesn't matter if you've never done a marathon or 10k or 5k you are a runner if you run one mile a day then you are a runner and people need to understand that but there's so much you should do it like this you should do it like that and the reason that I started coaching was because I saw that and it pissed me off to the point where I'm like this is putting people off being achieving incredible things and and finding out how much more they've got in them and and spending that really invaluable time with themselves is putting them off because they think they've got to run fast. It's bad for your knees. It's this, it's that. It's not. It's, you don't have to run fast. You can run walk. Most ultra runners run walk. And that's where I started doing the co- coaching. And the results I've seen, and it's all their work. It's nothing to do with me. I've just steered them onto the path here and there. It's incredible. but just incredible to see these people. Even when they fail, they get back up. And I'm like... It's their perception of failure. I'm like, every time you step onto a race, onto an event start line, that's winning. It doesn't matter if you don't complete it. It's your story. It's your journey. Do it your way. It doesn't matter. Um, and they just, you know, whereas before they would have just been like, oh, this is awful. They bounce back up because they're like, I know, I know. I've, I've done this reading. I've done my homework. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's just, I think my, if I can have an effect on just one person with this podcast, if just one person, it's like, I'm going to join the ultra awesome Facebook group, or I'm going to go out for a run, or I'm going to go to my local park run and just walk it to see if I like the route. That's all I need to do. Literally all I need to do because I wish I'd had that when I found ultra running. Cause I spent a lot of time beating myself up and procrastinating and being like, I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. And it was only when I met the trail running community and went to more and more events that I started to go, Oh, actually I can do whatever I want. And that's the best thing about ultra running pretty much do whatever you want. It's great. Um, so yeah, I love, I love my coaching. I love my clients. It's great.
0: Well, it, it sounds like you've, you know, you've definitely found something where you're, you know, you're really connecting to people. You're really making a massive difference in their lives and you're understanding that what's going on underneath are these, these difficult feelings that are actually holding people back. And mm wonderful that you can support them in that way. Um, It's really interesting the way you talked about comparison there in relation to running. Um, I would imagine it's quite hard to get away from that because, you know, there's this thing of times and what's your time and, you know, looking at other people's, you know, bodies and like, you know, like you said, um, but then you'll bring it back to this idea that it's about drawing from your inner resources and actually learning about yourself. So it's not about the comparison culture. Do you find that it's been difficult for you to see your way through that? Is it a very pervasive kind of energy in running or or have you not found it to be? Um, I find comparison
2: when I first started, I would compare myself to everybody, including people I haven't met or had never met. So I'd look at the Insta-famous runners and compare my my weekly mileage or my monthly mileage to theirs, which is so ridiculous, or my speed to theirs. I don't know who they are or where they run or how long they've been running or who, what they're aiming for. Are they trying to get a personal best for 10K or are they trying to run 100 miles? I don't know. So what's the point in comparing myself to them? But I did it and it made me feel awful. Um, and as time's gone on, I have found my little running niche and that running niche will basically come off Instagram, which is, I've always been absolutely honest about how I feel mentally on the internet, because I think it's really important to go, do you know what? You're never cured. Get that in your head. If you've got mental illness, you'll never be cured, but you will be able to deal with it a lot better. And I live with my depression quite happily. Me and him live together okay. He's always there, but some days he'll pipe up. And I'm like, oh, go on then. Say your piece, buddy. Go on. Go on. And some days he's there all day, like really going for it. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, that's interesting. Where's that come from? We have to have these big sit-downs, me and depression. And we do on the sofa in the living room and have a big old, I'd say chat, but he talks to me and I just listen and go, Okay.
0: Um, I love that you, well, yeah. you see it, you see it. Yeah,
2: because he's there. He's yeah. not, he's there. He's actually not in today because um, I don't know where he is, but I know that he's going to be coming around the weekend before I do this big event because he always does. But he's not actually in at the moment. So, but that's how I see it. Like, and some nights I'm like, oh God, he's brought his mate anxiety with him. And they sit on my sofa and they just sit there and I let them. I don't try and push them out. But the point is I've always been on Instagram. I've always been this is how I feel 100% how I feel I'm not doing it for sympathy and I'm not doing it because I want saving I'm telling you this is how I feel because I do whereas a lot of people are like sunshine lollipops oh my god I'm training for a pb oh my god I'm doing this hey have you tried this new supplement they really are or Yeah, I'm just a normal girl who's, like, living life, living a best life. And it's like, are you living your best life? No. If you were living your best life, you wouldn't be telling Instagram. You'd be being present in your best life. Like, I've always, always tried to be honest. Mm -hmm. I put up runs, me me and Pickle run every other day or whatever. So I just put up little bits of me and Pickle running around because I know it gets people to go, Ali's out for a run. I'll go out for a run. But I also put up, I feel awful. I've thought about killing myself three times this week. And people are like, what? And I'm like, mm. because I have. And because people do, I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but I'm explaining that people do. And that helps just like pull the stigma away. But to be quite honest, Yvonne, I don't know anyone else that does that. And I think that when it comes to comparing myself to other people, I, I don't anymore because I don't, there's no point. Like, because I'm not there to be a famous influencer. I'm there to say to people, if you, you're a bit wonky in the brain, or if you feel like you're not good enough, or if you suffer a little bit with these, these problems, I do as well, 100%. Mm. And I'm not better, but I'm really trying. And you can really try as well. And I can tell you some stuff that works for me and I can send you some funny dog videos. And if you're inspired by me and Pickle having a row about which direction to go in because there's a deer over there and a pheasant over there, then that's great. Like, I just want to... I don't want to be quick. I don't want to have FKTs. I don't want to... I do want to win a couple of races because I like the big trophies. So there's a couple I'm like, I'd like to win that. But that's like, a competition tiny, for me. Tiny bit... <laughs> The competition for me to get hold of that trophy that I want. And it's not going to happen this year or next year. It might happen the year after. So, like the Dragon's Back race, which I'm entered into in September. I have no idea if I could finish that. I'm terrified of it. But there was a bit of time where I've been like, I'm going to fail. And everyone's going to look at me and go, she's a failure. She's not a real ultra runner. I don't even know what a real ultra runner is. But now I'm like, well, I'll give it my absolute best. But if I don't, then that's a story
0: as well. And that's for the adventure as well. It's just all a big adventure, isn't it? Definitely. Um, and oh my gosh, I love the authenticity that you're talking about. I love that willingness to fully show up as you. I think that's what really inspires people. I think it's so healing. And I think it's 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 about having a connection to your deeper, truer sense of who you really are. And There's a lot of fear in people about showing up because they're afraid of what other people think of them. They're afraid that if I really say, I'm thinking this, I'm feeling this, I'm having a bad day, well, maybe they're not. So, you know, and then that's where the, you know, the comparison comes back. But if you can keep being authentic and honest and real, I think it is contagious. I think other people are encouraged to also show up in that way and Mm -hmm. I think that is incredibly healing I think that's what we need that's what we need to see on Instagram we need to see it everywhere as much as we can but I think you're totally right because people are
2: still very very scared Mm. of admitting there is anything wrong yeah very scared they're scared they're going to lose their jobs they're scared they're going to be labeled liability they're scared that people will think that they're wonky forever and it's like the thing is everyone's a bit wonky man everybody is yeah, I mean it's absolutely- everyone suffers from like negative bias everybody has the motivational triad firing on all cylinders telling us that to be scared of everything everyone does it's human uh-huh. nature and uh-huh. it, I think it's worse to pretend but uh-huh. you know there's a lot of stuff about the stigma of mental health having gone away in inverted commas it absolutely has not gone away no. at all and it might be okay to say to someone at work, "I feel a bit down" or "I feel a bit depressed," but it is absolutely not okay to say, "Last week I was at the park with my three kids, and I actually felt like throwing myself in front of a lorry as it came through the, through the park." People would be like, "Oh my god, you're insane! Take the kids away! Call the call the men in white coats!" Yeah, yeah, but that's absolutely normal and talking about it is so important if we can talk about it it won't happen and that's one of the things that really gets me and it's i've been told it by people before they've said to me maybe tone it down a bit yeah because that's not it's not socially acceptable to talk about suicidal ideation on social media and i'm like
0: is it not Mm. yeah i mean i think it comes back to the the fact that there's still amazingly there's still this idea of the perfect person like everyone's trying to be so you know this sense that there is a person who doesn't have any hang-ups and doesn't have any difficult thoughts and feelings and finds life just so easy that person I want to be that person and that is the myth that isn't actually true that doesn't exist and until we all really get it that the princess in the Disney movie is just it's just a character. It's a princess in a That's Disney true. movie. <laughs> so yeah. You know, once we get that, that there isn't something that we should be trying to be, and if we don't, and if we don't pretend that we're that, there's something wrong with us, until we get that, then these feelings I think are, are just gonna are gonna remain. These feelings of but
2: it, it doesn't, and the thing is it doesn't mean you have to be sad all the time. I think people are like, oh, but that means I'll never be happy. It's like, no, you don't have to be sad all the time because you're not sad all the time. Because there's an acceptance, there is an acceptance that do you know what, it is hard being a human, especially nowadays where we have comparison thrown at us left, right, and center. We have there's screens on everywhere, there's screens everywhere. There's screens on our, in our cars and there's screens in our bedrooms and there's screens everywhere. So the ability to compare now is a billion times more than it ever was. And it do, I think it doesn't mean you need to be sad about, I will never be a Disney princess character and everything is fucking sparkling, sparkling and brilliant and amazing. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is acceptance of, of being present and being grateful and having gratitude for all the stuff that is brilliant and is simple like you know I I wrote this in a blog the other day I woke up the other morning and I looked over at my wall and I've got a peace lily and it's got and I've got a very very blue wall it's like an aqua green wall and the light was coming in through the curtains hitting the peace lily and bouncing off the wall and I went oh my god that is so beautiful and then I went oh what are you doing what are you doing? What are you doing? You're turning into your sister. You're turning into somebody that's a hippie and likes crystals. I do like crystals. I have lots of them. I do sage my house. But I'm like, oh, because it was such an authentic, nice feeling, but it's what I'm not comfortable with. And I took a moment and just went, that's so nice to think that first thing, Ali. And then there's Pickle's face and a little yawny nose and a little soft ears. And I'm like, it's okay to be content. With this but i think we spend so long being discontent and looking for problems with ourselves and the negative bias of being a human being which is to see the negative in most stuff because we're trying to protect ourselves as a species Mm. it's okay to just be content for a bit and that comes with being present yeah it really comes with being present no one ever got content from scrolling through instagram ever no but you don't say to someone what's the happiest moment of your day and they went oh do you know what it was when i was scrolling through instagram it's
0: so it wasn't it's, so <laughs> it's so- probably
2: the unhappiest moment of your day maybe it could yeah, be the so happiest crazy. moment of your day is going for a walk or a little jog and seeing that mm. the field behind your house has got buttercups up now mm. maybe that can be it It can be that simple the presence being present get, saying to yourself i'm gonna go take some time out for me and and ultra running is the, one of the best ways to do that. It will change your life. It really will. It would just buy you this time where you can make decisions about other stuff and where you can be fully present.
0: It's amazing. It sounds it. The way you describe it, it sounds it. You're even making me feel tempted. <laughs> I'm renowned for this. And the thing that I
2: get told the most when I'm at uh, races, people will run past me and just shout at me, This is your fault. <laughs>
0: And I'm like, brilliant, cool. So Ali, we're coming towards the end of the interview now and there's a a question that I always ask at the end because the idea behind the Tenders Revolution is having this quality of tenderness for ourselves and others and it's through the three Cs because they enable us to fully see the truth and Mm -hmm. they are courage, curiosity and compassion. And I had to ask you if you had to choose one of these qualities that really means the most to you in your life, which would you choose, and why? And I know it's really hard.
2: Um, probably curiosity. Mm-hmm. Because that's the what fit at the moment at this this time in my life. It's the curiosity because it's the changing my the way I think personally from. You are the most awful person on earth, Ali, and you will never win anything. Two. That's an interesting thought. Why do you think that? Mm. And I've used this curiosity thing for the last six or seven months to stop this my mate depression in his tracks. And instead of going here, he is tell me this. Oh my god, I'm going to have a drink. Or oh my god, I'm going to go distract myself with a run. Or oh my god, I'm going to. I'm like, oh hello, come and sit down. That's really interesting. Why do you think that? And just being really curious with everything that I feel, even when I'm running and I'm like, wow, I don't feel great. My stomach feels like it's going. And it's like, that's really interesting. Why would your stomach be going? Is it because you didn't have any breakfast or is it because you ate the wrong thing for breakfast? What could you do to make it better? And I think, so for me, that curiosity really is a massive superpower in helping it's me to deal with that depression and anxiety part of me that will never go away, that I have completely accepted is part of who I am, but doesn't need to dictate my life and doesn't need to dictate how I feel all the time. And that doesn't, that, that doesn't mean it will shrink into nothing. And it doesn't mean I won't spend nights on my sofa with Pickle or I have a good old cry while depression sits there on my shoulder because that's okay as well because I'm listening to him. And he deserves a bit of respect. He's got a lot to say. Doesn't mean I have to believe him. Like, so the curiosity thing for me is really, really important. And I say it to people a lot, especially when they say things to me like, oh man, I did terrible in that race at the weekend. And I'll literally say, that's really interesting. Why would you say that? Mm. And it floors people. They're like, what? Because I did. It's like, no, it's really interesting you saw it that way. Because I didn't, I didn't see it that way. And it really makes people go, hang on a minute. The story I'm telling myself isn't
0: true. It's absolute rubbish. So yeah, that's the long answer to that short question. I love the way you described curiosity there. It's that, you know, that questioning and being unwilling to just, yeah, firstly accept these stories that we all have. And also it's it's kind of like almost seeing the magic in things and mm. constantly being sort of woken up by your surroundings and and it it sounds like it's really infectious you know you're bringing that into other people's lives too and you're making a difference Um, I hope so because because
2: sometimes I just feel like I rant on and on and on I rant into a void,
0: (laughs) just (laughs) but makes me feel better at the end of the day fun so you know well I'm looking after myself as well (laughs) you're doing great things you're doing great things for yourself and for others and Wow, I think you're amazing. So thank, oh, thank you so you. much. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I've learned so much. Good. Off you go. Sign up for that first ultra. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the tenderness revolution i hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us